Love that song. The Lord is so faithful. Amen. He's to stop and look over the engine like you, especially as I sing, you know, that song. It caused me to kind of look back over the course of my life and just, it is just marked, so marked with God's faithfulness and God's provision and God's goodness, even in the moments when, you know, like, like many times these days where things are chaotic and crazy and you're like, what are you doing, Lord? But then you look back every time and you go, ah, oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord. He is so faithful. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 30 to 34. Uh, we're in this series called My Favorite Proverbs. Um, I'm Stephen Elliott, by the way. I'm the pastor of High School Ministries, and it's a real privilege and honor to get to, to be a part of this sermon series. I do love the book of Proverbs and just the kind of the practical, straightforward, direct points that it makes. Um, the application from it is always good, and uh, there's so much, um, so much great content in it. But it's also so good as we're going to do this morning um, when you when you look at the proverbs, but also when you zoom back a little bit and look at the proverbs in light of the the whole scope of scripture and and how they uh, how they um, kind of what they teach and communicate about kind of a greater truth. So this morning we're going to look at this this character, the sluggard, and he's made an appearance a few times in proverbs as we've been reading through them. This is something that proverbs do is they have these these characters that kind of personify various traits that the, the writers of Proverbs are communicating. And so we have like, like Lady Wisdom, and she shows up from time to time in some of the Proverbs. Um, and she obviously is communicating, personifies the, 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 the trait of wisdom that we want. And Lady Folly, and she kind of personifies different, uh, different traits throughout Proverbs as well. And we have this sluggard, and he makes an appearance, as we're going to see uh, this morning. And so we're going to talk a little bit about laziness as well, but we're going to be looking at the concept of work, but not just like the straightforward, direct physical labor that we do. Our, not, we're not just directly talking about our jobs, but we're looking, at, as, as I said, we're going to step back a little bit and, and kind of look at the idea of work especially like from Jesus' perspective and how does he view work? What is, how does he use the concept of work? And how are we as Christians supposed to view our work? And again, not just our job, but all of the things that we are called to do. How are we supposed to view them? How are we supposed to live in and as workers? Um, what, what is, and what is the greatest work that we are called to do? So with that, let's read this text. The writer says this, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If, uh, if you were to summarize this text into just one, one quick sentence, you can write this maybe in the margin of your Bibles, write this in your notes. Uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, and I think it's a really good summary of what, this, like, what the writer is trying to communicate. It's this, continued laziness will result in poverty. If you were to boil it down, it's that. Continued laziness will result in poverty. W what's going on here is the, is the writer is... It starts out with just simple observation. 
where the writer is, is walking along and you see he looks and he comes upon this field and these fields are supposed to be used for producing fruit and, and food and for nourishing and sustaining life. And this guy's field, this sluggard's field, is not doing that. It is producing weeds. It's, it's, it's broken down. It's falling apart. And then in the next verse, in verse 32... Then he considers it. And this is something that a wise person does. A wise person doesn't just observe the world around him or her, but the wise person evaluates. The wise person considers. So they see something and then they... They think about it. They put, their, they put their thinking caps on, right? You teachers, you, you know that phrase. They, they, they consider what's going on. They, they think about it through, you know, the lenses of, of wisdom. And they say, okay, what's the lesson to learn from this? What can I take away? And that is, that is what a wise person do, a wise, does. A wise, a wise person strives for greater wisdom. And that's, what's, that's what he does. And then in verse 33 and 34, then he applies... A previous proverb, if that verse, in, if 33 and 34 sounds familiar, it's because it was actually, it's a quote from Proverbs 6, and John read it quite a few weeks ago. Um, and and it, what, so what the writer is doing is he looks at this current situation, and he says, basically, that makes me think of this verse. Ah, that verse from earlier, that applies to this situation. And so there's, there's kind of two sides of the coin where, yes, it, you know, the writer is obviously calling us to avoid laziness. And as, I, as we summarized here, what he's saying is that consistent, ongoing laziness will result in poverty. It will result in a wrecked mess of a life. But the other, the other side of the coin, and this is, this is kind of the positive side of it, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, is that uh, work. There you go. Do you want to advance that for me, guys? Oh. I hit the button three times, it's probably going to now race forward. It's like when you hit print and it's not printing fast enough, and so you keep clicking the button, right? <laughs> like now I have 30 copies of this. Done that before. Um, so so the, 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 point, the point of this proverb on the positive side is that this proverb is calling the reader to hard work and diligence. Oh, I did. Yep, sure enough, there it goes. <laughs> Thanks, guys, you saved me. <laughs> Go back. Be patient, Stephen. Uh, the, but the... the, the the writer is calling the reader, us, to hard work and to diligence. The writer is calling us to avoid laziness and to see the long-term effect of what laziness will do. It will result in our basic needs, the necessities of our life, the things for sustaining life to, to fall apart. You see, the lazy person, the sluggard, prioritizes unnecessary sleep and rest over the good and necessary management of the, under, of the things under his or her care. Now listen, this is not forbidding sleep or rest. This isn't even forbidding vacation. It's not forbidding taking a nap. Taking a nap. What this is warning against is the unnecessary amount of, of, of sleep. You see, the hard worker rests in order to maximize their ability to work. The hard worker is wise and they realize they have to stop. They have to take a rest. They have to sleep because that maximizes their ability to work. The sluggard, the lazy person rests to avoid work. They rest to avoid unnecessary or the necessary work. But this proverb, I think, especially when viewed in the whole scope of scripture, is saying something more than that. It's not just calling us to be good, hard workers. 
I think this, this, this text, and especially the scope of scripture, is calling us to be good, hard kingdom workers. And I think Jesus talks a lot about work, and he uses work to point out and to, to emphasize and to teach us an important, a critical lesson about what it means to be his followers. He teaches us about what it means to be kingdom workers, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump to that. Um, turn to Matthew 9. We'll see how Jesus uses the principle, the concept of work. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, Jesus isn't just suddenly rapidly switching subjects on them. He is looking out at lost people everywhere around him, and he's using this idea of work and harvest and laborers to communicate to his followers that his followers need to see the lost people around him as the work, the important, critical, necessary work that they need to be a part of. Flip a few pages over to John. John chapter 9. Excuse me, John chapter 4. We'll get to John 9. John 4.34, John 4, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And you remember, he's, this is where he's, he's talking, he just spoken to the Samaritan woman, and his disciples are coming to him, they're shocked that he's doing this, and they, they say, like, Lord, you need to eat. And he says, and he says my food is to do, those, to, do, to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months then, and then comes the harvest? He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See the fields are white with harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruits for eternal life. So the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For, they, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. One more if you switch over, flip over to John 9. John 9, 4. What does Jesus say? Straightforward, very simply. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And then one other in in, in Matthew 25, Jesus, and and there's more that Jesus says about work, but I'll I'll paraphrase simply. What what he's saying in in Matthew 25, if you remember, it's the parable of of um, of the talents, where the master goes away on a trip and he gives, his, he gives his workers, three of them, he gives them each an amount of wage and they are to use those funds to, to grow and to advance and, to, and to, to grow the estate of the master. They're to use the master's funds for the master's purpose. And the master returns and the two who did what they were supposed to do, what does he say to him? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's the one who did nothing with what he was given. And what does he say? He says, you wicked and lazy servant. You could insert the word sluggard into that, into that statement. So we see and the, like the bigger point, the main point that I want us to understand this morning, the main point of this text, if you're taking notes, is that we must work hard in the work which matters most, kingdom work. We must work hard 
and be hard, diligent workers in the work which matters most, and that is kingdom work. Now, if you think about that, I, I, if, if, if you're like me, I remember when I first started reading through the Gospels and I would read Jesus would talk about the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and he's talking about the same thing. I would think, I, my thought was he was talking about like heaven far away somewhere, like where I go when I die someday. And then if you, if you read his parables when he, in, in his, his, his sermons when he's talking about that, if you read with that lens, that doesn't make any sense, and that's because it, it's not right. When, when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about doing kingdom work, we are talking about anywhere and everywhere where Jesus reigns and rules as king. And that is here and now. We're not talking about geographic, physical borders. We are talking about hearts of Jesus' people who follow him and serve him and bow down to him as king of their life. So the kingdom grows not only as more and more people give their lives to Christ, but the kingdom grows in your heart and mind as we make Jesus king of our life, as we increasingly bow our knee to Jesus, as we hand over more areas of our life to him as king, as, we, like as the Lord calls us and convicts us and we go, oh yeah, I'm... I'm definitely clutching onto that one, Lord. Like, I need to start handing that over to you. As he reigns and rules more and more as, of king, as king of our life, the kingdom grows. I hope that makes sense. And so when we are called to engage in kingdom work and be a part of kingdom work, we are called to be a part of what he is doing in bringing the lost world back to himself. We are called to be a part of the process of making him reign and rule as king more and more and more. And we must be a part of that. So again, the kingdom is everywhere that God rules and reigns as king. Yes, we need to work hard to avoid laziness in our life. But it's not just about doing the things that we want to do and doing them well and working hard at the things we want to do. If Jesus is master, if Jesus is Lord of our life, if scripture it does, calls the slaves and servants of Christ, then we need to think hard and ask and look for what does our master call us to do? What does King Jesus call us to do? What is the work that he has called us to? Now, how do we know if we are doing kingdom work? I think that's a, that's a good question that we need to be asking and evaluating of our life. Does kingdom work happen when we step foot inside the church? Like you work your eight to five job, sorry, that's not kingdom work. You come home, you put on your Awana shirt, you step here, you, know, you step onto the church campus, kingdom work starts. You know, Sunday morning, you know, you're serving or, you know, doing whatever, helping parking, whatever, kingdom work, you're, you know, go, go home, kingdom work stops. Is, is that how, is that, is, is that true? And I would say a resounding no. How we evaluate and analyze if we are in fact doing kingdom work, I think is really simple. And I say, you can, you can write this down, this isn't in your notes, but just write down the great commission and the greatest commandment. The great commission and the greatest commandment. What was the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked that. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Great Commission is what we, all of us, are called to do. And, this, and, and Pastor Tim taught this, and he's right, is that, is that it's not just go and make disciples, but, but literally what it means is as you are going. So in the everyday life, in everywhere, anywhere and everywhere that you are going, go to make disciples. So if you are, whatever your job is, if you are a stay-at-home parent, if you are a plumber, a tr trash truck driver, you know, a teacher, 
a student, whatever it is you are doing, if you are going through life through the, you know, with the desire to know Christ, to love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love others as you love yourself and to make him known, to make disciples in everything that you do and to, you know, to, to like make disciples with every, to everyone that you come in contact with. If that is your heart and passion and goal and desire and longing, that is kingdom work. Yes, kingdom work absolutely happens here on, on the church campus. It happens as we're discipling kids in Awana and small groups and in your R group. That absolutely is kingdom work. But don't think that, you know, your job that you do is not kingdom work. It absolutely is. Now, I'm going to want to break down a few just applications of this text. Um, some, some ways that we can, like, live this out in our life. The first one that's so important is remember that Jesus did the ultimate work. I don't want us to think, I work really hard. Jesus is so lucky to have me on his team. Like, boy, if it wasn't for me, man, the kingdom would really be in trouble. Like, that is not the case at all. I think this, we should continually be humbled by the fact that we, like, that, that God even wants to serve with us, that, that we even have a relationship with Christ. Our relationship with Christ was not earned by how hard we work. Our relationship with Christ was earned on the cross. The, the, our, our, even our ability to be partners with God in the gospel work was bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. Make no mistake about it. Jesus did the ultimate work. Jesus did the work on the cross that, and like, what Scripture says is that we were lost. We were dead in our sin. We were enemies of, of God. We were opponents of the kingdom. Like, we were actively working against the kingdom, and God in his grace saved us. He made a way in which we could know him. And I would encourage you and challenge you, if, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you are trying to work, if you think you, that God is somehow, you know, if, that you being here is earning your way into heaven— you are mistaken. You cannot work enough to offset the cost of your sin. So if you've never given your life to Christ, look to him as Savior and Lord. Bow the knee to Jesus as King. Confess your sin and repent and turn to him because there is no other way in which you can be saved except through Jesus. Remember, never forget that Jesus did the ultimate work. Now for us who know Christ, for us who know Christ, remember, we must not forget that we, we are partners with God in the gospel. We are not fans who sit on the sideline, fans in the stands. In, in the proverb, who is the one that sits around doing nothing? It's the sluggard. That is not what we are called to be. We are called to be partners with God in the process of bringing lost people back to himself. We are called to be partners with him in growing the kingdom. And that should blow us away. The, the idea that God would choose us, would give us gifts and abilities to be partners with him in what he is doing in this world is mind-blowing. What a privilege what an honor it is to, to do the things that he has called us to do. He absolutely does not need us. He doesn't be like, he's not, he's not in heaven like, oh man, I'm, oh, I'm so lucky. So-and-so's there to like, he really saved me. That's not the case at all. Like, it is a privilege and an honor. And listen, I, I get it. I know 
I know like the, the Wednesday night grind can, is, is a real thing where you're, you know, you're coming home from your job, you're probably like shoving food in your mouth, microwaving something really quick, trying to you know, get your kids ready, say hello to the family, and now like, all right, back in the car, we're going to go to church and it's time for, for one or small groups uh, or, or whatever. And there's just, there can definitely be this feeling of, okay, it's Wednesday night, like, all right, got to do this. And, or, you know, on, on Sunday morning or anything else, even again in your job, wherever it is, the, the things that God has put, the, you know, like the, the path that God has put you on, it is easy. Just the, the mundane, the monotony of it, it can feel like, it can feel like that. It can, the, the idea that it, this is a privilege and this is an honor can, can like fade away very, very quickly when, when the routine starts to set in. And I wish I had some life hack to, to solve that problem, and I don't. But I think it starts by us having the right perspective and realizing that we are partners with God in what he is doing. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are ambassadors of Christ. What a privilege. When, when someone is handed, you know, asked to be an ambassador of something, they don't be, they're not like, ugh. Really? No, I mean, what an honor that, that we are chosen to be representatives. We are chosen to be partners with Christ and what he is doing. This should humble us. This should blow us away. Never forget that we are called to be partners with him in his work. The next one that we have to remember, and I realize when I put these together, I linked four, three and four together. So you get, you get two answers. No cheating. Don't look at the next one. Just ignore that. Ignore the man behind the curtain, right? The next one is remember that you are kingdom workers in your job. You are kingdom workers in your job. Make no mistake, the thing you do, your job, your, your, your place of employment, and maybe you're not employed, maybe you're a student, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, maybe you're retired, whatever it is, don't make a mistake in thinking that that is worthless or pointless or not significant to growing the kingdom. If you think for a second that, that like the pastors are the professional Christians and they do the work and, and the congregation just supports them in their work and we sit and listen to the sermon and cheer them on and, and just let them do the work, I want you to look at something. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. The context of this is that, that Saul, who later became Paul, had just kind of overseen and approved of the, the, the death, the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and was about to bring persecution into the, the church in Jerusalem. And if you remember, the church in Jerusalem was centralized. The, the Christians were just exclusively in Jerusalem. The church was growing significantly, but just in Jerusalem. Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Sumeria except the apostles. So what we have here is this picture where the church is huge and then this persecution comes in and suddenly everyone scatters except for the leaders of the church. If we were to, the, the lay people, if, if this was today, I would still be here, all of you would be gone. There would just be a very small group left. And you think, you read that and you go, oh no, the church is leaderless. What's going to happen when, when the professional Christians are the only, one, you know, are, are the only ones there? What's going to happen to all, those, all the lay people? Oh no. Well, let's find out what happens. Go a few chapters over to Acts 11. Acts 11, 19. We'll find out what happens when God scatters his kingdom workers. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, again, this is verse 19, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them 
men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, these were the, like the Greeks and, and like non-Jews, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So what we have here, when kingdom workers are scattered, when lay people who have a passion to make Christ known, who see themselves as kingdom workers, when they are scattered to all, all places, the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows like wildfire. And I don't have time to go into, but I would encourage you to study as you read through Acts, look at how significant the church of Antioch was. The church of Antioch is arguably one of the most influential, most significant, most important churches in the New Testament. We would not have a large portion, portion of the New Testament and we would not have a large number of the important influential people in the New Testament if it, if it wasn't for the church of Antioch. There is a lot of letters that wouldn't be in our New Testament if it wasn't for the Antioch church who lived intentionally. And again, these aren't the professional Christians. These aren't the, you know, as, we, as our society would say like, oh, they're, you know, they're the kingdom workers and I'm just the lay person. No, every one of us are kingdom workers. Make no mistake about it. Last Sunday, we had, we had Missions Fest, and I, I loved it. I loved going into the student center and looking around and seeing all the missionaries. And these are missionaries that our church commissions and supports and sends out to, do, to, to make the gospel known in all parts of the world. But I have, this, I have this vision, and we couldn't practically do it, but I have this vision of having another Mission Sunday. And just like that one, we have tables everywhere, and each missionary has their table. They have maybe like a backboard and pictures of all the people that they serve and minister to and share the gospel with and live as lights in and, and as salt in. And it's every one of you. And on the picture is, is a picture of your family and a picture of your employees and a picture of your neighbors and the people you serve with and the people you care about and your family members because every one of you are missionaries and you have a mission field. Every one of us is a kingdom worker, so make no mistake about it. Your job is not just some menial job. Your job is your mission field and it is important. It is critical that you are there. The next one, number four is, we never retire. Oh, I, I, I forgot about that. Go back. Oh, I keep giving you the answers. We never retire. <laughs> Ignore that. We never retire from kingdom work. In the Great Commission, Jesus never said until, until it gets too difficult and until you retire, then take it easy. When, we retire when we die. Now, don't, don't miss what I'm trying. I'm not... Any of you, I'm not going to make eye contact, but, but any of you who are retired, I am not saying that you are living in sin because you are retired. I'm not talking about your retirement from your job. I'm talking about retirement from kingdom work. And just because you are retired, actually for, for many of you, what I love so much about this church is that so many of the folks who are retired here see that as only more and greater opportunity for kingdom work. And I would encourage us who are younger, who are still working and look someday to retirement, see these folks as the example to where, to where like we may retire from our job, but we never retire from kingdom work. Remember that, that it is, it is never, we're never called to, to retire from the things that God has called us to. Uh, John Piper wrote this book called Don't Waste Your Life. Excellent book, but he writes on the back. The back of it says this. Um, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their job in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect shells. This is, this is what we look at as the American dream, right? Like this is what to aim for. 
picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment and saying, Lord, look at my shells. That is a tragedy. God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan and work, not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every part of our lives. And lastly, the last one is that part of our work, part of our work is to raise up other workers. Never forget, what did Jesus say? He said, he said see the harvest? See, not only are you harvesters, he says, but pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. We need to keep this in mind that not only in the areas where we serve, but we need to be thinking, who can I bring to replace me? Who can I raise up as other workers to continue the work, to continue moving the kingdom and advancing the kingdom? So part of, and that is part of our duty. Part of our work is to raise up other workers. Last thing, I'm going to go through these quickly, but but I want to talk about reasons why we procrastinate. And these, were really, these are really simple to come up with because these are all things I've said. These are all reasons I've given. Like, I, I was looking in the mirror when I was, when I was thinking about, about all of these. Again, very simple. Um, one reason that we procrastinate in kingdom work is just that it's, it's difficult. One, one reason is, is just that, that, that a lot of times, now there is great, so much joy, like so much legitimate fun in serving the Lord and doing things his way and serving with good, wonderful, godly people. Make no ma- mistake about it. But there are times when it is difficult. Like that, that Wednesday night grind of rushing home and throwing, like, like that is real. There are times where it's not always easy living in obedience to God with intentionally living, like intentionally making him known. It is at times difficult, but that shouldn't cause us to not do the things that he calls us to do. Another one is waiting for better timing. I think this is, this is, many of us, many of us are guilty of all these things. We're all guilty of all these things, I know. But, but, but we wait for better timing. When, when it's more convenient, when, when things settle down in my life, when things become a little easier, a little less hectic, a little calmer, I'm going to start serving. You know, when I, as soon as I get through this season of my life, then I'll start doing this. Listen, friend, there is never an ideal time for kingdom work. The ideal time, well, there is actually, the ideal time is right now. Start serving now. So we need to not wait for better, wait until we, for, until the timing gets better. Another one is, is forgetting God's calling and gifting in our life. Like not only has God uniquely equipped each of you and each, and each of me and me to, to, to certain, with certain gifts and abilities. Not only has he, do we have a direct call in Matthew 28 to, to go and make disciples? You know, we're not standing around like, I wonder what, God wants us to do. I wish he would just make it clear to us. Like, it is really clear. Not only are those things true, but we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are indwelt with the same spirit that hovered over the waters at creation, the same spirit that fell on the disciples at Pentecost and changed everything. But that same spirit lives in you and me. So if you think that you don't have some sort of ability to start being a kingdom worker and advancing the kingdom around you, don't believe that. You do. Don't forget your God's calling and gifting and, and the gift of the Spirit. Another one is disappointing people and situations. Either disappointing people or disappointing situations. And, and this is one where it's so easy to look at it. maybe a ministry, I'm just thinking of examples, like a ministry to serve in and be like, well, if they would just do things my way, 
I, I would work there if they would just do things my way. Or if, if it, like, I would love to work there, but there's that, per, that other person serves there and they just really get under my skin. Or things, things aren't ideal, things aren't perfect. There's, there's some source of frustration that's keeping me from, from doing that. It, you know, if only if it wasn't for this outside situation that's out of my control, then I would, I would engage. Then I'd be a part of that. I heard a phrase, if the grass is greener on the other side, try watering your lawn. I, th- I think that's, I think so many of us are calls. We, yes, are, are there disappointing people and situations around us? Absolutely. So start serving and make the situation better. The situation is not, isn't going to get better if you aren't a part of the solution. Another one is fear of failure. Fear of failure. I think we, you know, this is, I think, especially when, we're, when it comes to actually just sharing the gospel with people, telling people about Christ, entering into that, that sometimes difficult and awkward but incredible conversation of telling people how they can know Christ, I think there's a fear of failure. Well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Okay, what if they give their life to Christ? We need to not have a fear of failure or rejection. And the last one is the the idea of like, we've served our time. Where, and this goes back to the idea of retiring from kingdom work is that we never retire from kingdom work. Now, I want to clarify that really quick. That, That doesn't mean, you know, if... If you're 95, we're not going to maybe ask you, or you maybe shouldn't do like the junior high all-nighter and work the rock wall. It's not what I, I'm not saying like you have to just, wherever you're at, serve there until the day the Lord calls you home. Like maybe you are no longer, like that's not ideal for your current situation, but that doesn't mean you just sit on the sidelines. There's always a place for us to serve. There's always a place for us to grow the kingdom around us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for for this incredible privilege, this incredible privilege and honor of, of being partners, participants with you in what you're doing. Lord, I pray not only that the kingdom would grow in the world around us, but God, that the kingdom would grow more and more in our hearts. Um, Lord, I, I am painfully, painfully aware of all the areas in my life where I do not bow to you as king. Confess those, Lord. Once again, hand those over to you and ask that you would uh, in more ways grow as king of my life and God, that you would use all of us to make the kingdom known, that you would uh, make us aware of situations where you want to use us intentionally um, so that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would be honored. We love you, Lord, so much and pray this and pray that you would be glorified. We ask this in your name, amen.